0: Welcome to another episode of the chronically healing podcast with your hosts, Jesse Fritz and Christina Sanguera, excited as usual for you guys to dive into this episode. I wanted to mix things up this week though, Jesse, I wanted to jump into a little bit of a life update for both of us, and then we'll Mm. give our, our thoughts on today's episode. What do you think? Yeah. I love that. Okay, cool. Um, You start. I want to hear about your life. (laughs)
1: Uh, <laughs> I'm like, what's, what's happening in my life right now. So we'll actually talk about this a little bit in, in the episode today, but I've actually started to, I don't want to say like, I've started a diet because I haven't, but I've started to kind of focus a little bit more on promoting healthy habits. Again, I think for a while I went off the rails of like I'm not going to diet. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this because I was just so sick of being restricted in all parts of life. And recently I've just been like, how about we like reframe that a little bit and start adding things simple as like adding in some things to my morning routine, adding in, um, some extra time or some extra sleep so I can get up earlier, adding in vegetables, more vegetables to more meals, things like that. And, it's been really helpful, like a very helpful mind switch to be thinking about it in an abundance mindset versus a, um, scarcity mindset of like, what am I taking out instead? I'm like, okay, what do I get to eat more of? Like, I really love potatoes. I'm going to eat more potatoes versus not thinking about the things I'm going to cut out, you know? So, um, I think I've talked about this on the podcast a a lot, but I gained 60 pounds in the last few years and I'm at a, a place where I just don't feel comfortable in my body physically, mentally, emotionally, all the things. And, um, and I want to take some power back in that instead of just like kind of waiting for things to fix themselves and, or blaming it on Hashimoto's or something like that. I don't want to sit in that. So, so yeah, I've kind of been just trying to switch up my mindset a little bit and adding more abundance back into my life while also like focusing on my health a little bit more. That makes sense.
0: It does. And I like that your approach has always been so real and you're very transparent about the struggles and all the things. And I like that. You're not trying to go from zero to a hundred, right. which most people do. They go right. from couch to keto, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> right. not really going to work out. Right. Yeah. We're going to get overwhelmed. It's going to be too much. So I, I just, I like that idea. And we mm-hmm. talked about this in the episode, but it, it, it's like, you're inviting more pleasure into your life, which right. I think is super important. I think there's a huge misconception about the weight loss journey that you have to suffer your way through it. And I, right. I, especially after today's episode, I really feel like that doesn't have to be the case. And I hope that our listeners take that away. So,
1: yeah, I hundred hundred hundred, a hundred percent agree, but what has been going on with your week
0: or how have you been doing? I've been doing okay. I, I, I like you, I'm trying to search my brain for anything super exciting, (laughs) you know, sometimes I don't know. It just feels like the daily grind, right? But I will say I am still trying to chill in this abundance vortex. I talked about last week,
1: Mm. trying to
0: call in more of what I desire. I really do feel like I'm stepping into a different version of me, which is really cool because I, I think of it like a snake. Shedding its skin. And -hmm. we have to go through all the bullshit because we have to be ready for that new chapter. So the bullshit Mm -hmm. now is preparing us for this new version of ourselves. And if we step into that new chapter with old version, it's way more chaotic. Mm -hmm. So I've really been honing in on that. I've been waking up earlier to read this book I talked about called Super Attractor, which I'm really digging by Gabrielle Bernstein. It's enough woo. Yeah, it's really cool because it's not so woo that you're talking about fifth dimensions and different things. I'm not even there yet. Right. Yeah. But I can get down with abundance vortexes and I can get down with low vibrations and high vibrations and claiming your joy and your happiness and all the things in between. So Mm -hmm. I like, I like that. I think for me I've just been on this this personal development kick and trying to call in more of what I desire. Because Mm -hmm. even though I'm in this world I think I actually feel even more pressure because I'm a coach to be Mm -hmm. perfect. Yes. You know, yes. It's, I feel like, oh, I, I can't have flaws because, you know, then I I'm not worthy of coaching other people, right? Mm-hmm. What I My husband's learn- actually
1: going through this right now too with right? his coaching practice. He does okay. more of the lifestyle or uh, yeah. not lifestyle life coaching and he's been struggling and he's actually been sharing a little bit more about like some of our money issues and our like, but he was very much like, I can't tell people that because they're not going to think I'm a good coach. And I was like, it has nothing to do with that. If you're more open and honest, right. You, people will be attracted to that.
0: Yeah. So I so what I do is I show up vulnerable, even if I don't feel like I'm ready, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. And it always turns out. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this morning I woke up in a funk. So I shared the things that I did to get out of that funk. The old me would have been this morning was great. Let me tell you why. Mm -hmm. And the me today was I woke up in a shitty mood. So here's what (laughs) I did to get out of it. Yeah. So, you know, and that feels really good. So yeah, I've been, I've been focusing on, And what's cool too, is as, as I move through these things on my own, I'm able to help others. So as I come out of these dark pits, I'm able to help others. And whenever you do work with someone, no one is ever going to be at the summit of anything. So your goal in hiring a coach is to find someone two, three, four steps ahead of you, right? Mm -hmm. Not at some elusive summit that doesn't even exist because there's just no such thing as perfection. So yeah, I've been working on my mental hangups I think I have always been vulnerable, but I've been also trying to just be even more vulnerable in terms of coaches have issues too. Last episode, I talked about how I sometimes deal with binge eating issues and mm-hmm. that's just things that most people would not ever think because they always look at me like, you're the one who inspires me. I'm like, yeah, you're right. because I've been through it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I think that that's the part that like, that some people like, don't think about when they don't want to share stuff like that is like, no, but if you are talking about your experience, I'm much more apt to work with you because I feel like you'll understand where I'm coming from versus if you're some perfect, you know, Barbie standing on the top of a mountain, like you're unattainable to me. Like I, I cannot imagine actually being at your level, you know, because it's so not true. a real level versus like someone that's a couple steps ahead of you. And you can be like, Wow. I can get there. Like I can get to that part
0: because like, you know, she did. And I connect with her. Right. That's so true. And let's just talk about that for a second, a little tangent. I think there is a little bit of toxic positivity in the wellness space, especially with, I don't want to say quote unquote, as if I'm being rude, but healer type people, Mm -hmm. I see it a lot with those types of people where they only post the good stuff Right. And they only post the edited version of things and I don't ever see their struggles. And right. to your point, I don't connect with that because I know that life is not always amazing and we're not always in an abundance vortex. I might go into a stupid, whatever tomorrow. Right. Mm. So, yeah, I think there's a little bit of toxic positivity in that space. And then it can make you feel like something's wrong with you, which is not the case because we know. <laughs> okay how many people do we see post online about how much they love their relationship? And then they're divorcing two months later. Like that's such a perfect example. You know, what we see curated is oftentimes not the reality. I was chuckling about this the other day. I said, if I see people posting that they love each other and oh my gosh, and all my, I'm going to assume that I'm getting a divorce announcement in two months. (laughs) I just see it happening too much. Yeah. It's just people gushing it's a level of gush. Maybe it's like, Mm -hmm. if it's too much then I know that they're overcompensating because the people that I don't see posting really about each other at all, I know them personally and they're super happy. So I don't know. I don't know. Right. Because they don't feel the need to have to
1: prove that. Right. Like that's, yeah, I, I feel like there's just like this proving factor with like, coaches, like certain coaches in the industry, healers, like we we're just talking about, but just even people in general, I see this, I follow a lot of like bloggers and stuff. I started out my journey in the online space in blogging, lifestyle blogging, like 12 years ago. So I have all these people that I love who, you know, are like fashion bloggers, all this stuff. And, and there's a lot of that. There's a lot of like, there's this perfect little family unit and like all this stuff. And I have seen and have noticed that I'm connecting more with the people that are actually talking about. Things not always being perfect, or they're talking about like a disagreement they had, or something like that. Because I'm just like, there's no way that you, you know, have all these beautiful things, this perfect house, these six well behaved children that never do anything wrong and always look perfect, <laughs> and this husband that supports you and everything. I, th- there's no way, like, I have a husband. That's not true. <laughs> like, so, so what's missing there? And I feel like, you know, when people are honest about it, Not, and not saying there's, I think that you're allowed to share however much you want to, but when you start sharing things that are just like trying to prove
0: that you're better or like above, I just think that that's where it's dangerous for all of us. Right. Well, and I I had actually pushed back on that a little, I feel like if someone is going to go out of their way to curate this perfect feed, I do think that as they grow, they have a little bit of a responsibility to show people that that's not always the reality. Yeah. Yeah. Does that mean that every post needs to be that? No, but maybe you do a story talking about your struggle as a mom that day or whatever. And to your point, that'll help people to connect with you even more. So it actually has a positive benefit. So Mm -hmm. that was a tangent, but I liked it. Yeah. I mean, we're good at those. (laughs) So real quick, let's just give a quick few bits of our takeaways from the episode. I think for me, the biggest takeaway, I actually, so I talked about-
1: One second. It's with Sarah Stites. I don't think we've
0: oh my <laughs> god. Her yeah. name, but Sarah, Sarah Stites.
1: Stites, she's the CEO of <laughs> Wavelength, which you'll yes. find out more about what that is in the episode. But sorry to interrupt you, but no, you're
0: totally yes. Emotional guidance scale. I, I talked about that in the episode, so you can look it up. It's by Abraham Hicks. And I just love, love, love the idea of not forcing yourself to go from here to oh my gosh, everything's great. And how going from rung to rung of that ladder could be that lasting change. I like that a lot. I feel like a lot of programs kind of force you into a way of being and doing and thinking. And then when you don't do it perfectly, you fail. And what do you do? You sabotage. You go Mm -hmm. back to the old behaviors that weren't serving you. And it's this vicious cycle of I'm a failure. I can't do this versus, okay, well, today I had one Oreo instead of five cool. Like right. I'm going to count that as a win. So I don't know. I, I really, really embraced that idea and I can't wait for people to dive into it more in the episode.
1: Yeah. We also dove in a lot to shame and how that's incorporated and just fully connected into the, the weight loss space and how, you know, some of these companies that are, that are promoting different types of food that maybe aren't so good for you kind of feed into that shame. And then also like what you're just talking about with, um, different programs and stuff. Like, I feel like they almost like, want you to fail because then you'll keep coming back to them right they don't they don't necessarily want you to do well they're like oh well yeah you didn't meet your whatever points today so like make sure you do well tomorrow or don't eat all your points tomorrow or something and it's kind of like in like, enticing this shame cycle. And Sarah was really, really, we went really, really in depth with, um, shame and how that's affected her, how she's worked with different people, um, one-on-one and also within wavelength and how shame is just kind of like incorporated in everything when it comes to this.
0: hundred percent. And that piece, I like how we broke it down. Because as I mentioned in the episode, how many times have you heard it's because you don't love yourself. It's because you have shame. Cool. Well, what does that even mean? Right. Yeah. (laughs) Just gloss over that. So I like how we actually dug in and she had some tangible bites that people can take away that really drive home what that actually means. And then she Mm -hmm. shared ideas for adopting more daily pleasure and Mm -hmm. that part I really like too. So I'm excited for the episode. Hands Mm -hmm. down. If you guys have not, please leave us a review on iTunes helps us rise in the ranks and reach more chronic illness warriors like yourselves, leave us a five-star review. We greatly appreciate it. If you haven't done so as well, make sure that you go join our Facebook group, chronically Mm -hmm. healing community. We're going to be starting a fun little live series some point here. (laughs) Yeah. Our schedules, life, all the yeah. things. But I promise you, Christina and I,
1: yeah, we live literally on opposite ends of the country. So, like, <laughs> and we both have our own businesses. Christina has two. So, it's like trying to figure out yeah, we're just, all this scheduling. Know,
0: yeah. Right. We'll figure it out way. though. Yeah.
1: yeah. We'll get there. So,
0: cool. Well, without further ado, let's head into
1: the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the chronically healing podcast. We are so excited to have you back for another week and another episode. And today we're super excited to welcome Sarah Stites to the show. Welcome. And thank you so much for joining us today. I'm
2: really happy to be here. Thank you guys for having me.
1: Of course. So why don't we jump right in and why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your story?
2: Yeah. So when I was 12 years old, I was diagnosed with polycystic ovary syndrome. When I was 15, I was diagnosed with prediabetes. And then my junior year of high school, uh, I gained about 150 pounds and mm. I was just like, <laughs> I was really struggling. I, the advice I was getting from my doctors to manage all of these conditions was to go on a diet and lose weight, which of course is like, <laughs> not helpful advice, but (laughs) I was 16 years old. I had just gained 150 pounds in a year. Um, and I was trying literally everything that I could think of to lose weight and failing abysmally at all of it. I'd lose, you know, if, if it went well, I'd lose a little weight for a while. It would come back more, got to the point where like, I'd vow to go on a diet in the morning, by the end of the day, all thoughts of that were out the window. Um, and I on some level on a, on a deep level, I really believed that this was happening because I sucked because I was just mm. like, not as disciplined as the thin people around me were. And I like, you know, it would be great to, to resolve my PCOS or great to resolve the P the prediabetes, but like the message I was getting from my healthcare practitioners and like from everyone in the world around me, was Is that the real problem here was how much I weighed and That if I, I could just solve that, then I wouldn't have any problems left over of any kind. (laughs) Um, and it really got, it was like really affecting my sense of self-worth in a profound way. Like I sometimes wonder who I would be now if I hadn't gone through that. Um, Mm -hmm you know, for better and for worse. Right. But Mm -hmm. my mom has a very similar story, um, around all the time that that was going on for me. She was looking at 50 and she literally couldn't walk around the block. Um, Mm -hmm. but unlike me, she's got a PhD and a couple of master's degrees, one of which is in nutrition science. And she started really questioning this idea that this was a discipline issue. Like she, she has an advanced degree in what to eat and is not a person that struggled with discipline in any other aspect of her life. Like, is this really about sucking or is something else going on here? Um, and she started asking the question, not what should we be eating to be healthy and lose weight, but why do we, eat? why do we keep choosing foods that we know don't make us feel good that we know are negatively impacting our health and how can we change this? And what she discovered is that like food, food choices are not about self-discipline. They're not about willpower. They're about biology and they're about cause and effect. And by changing the underlying neurological metabolic behavioral patterns that drive our food choices, we can actually really transform our relationship to food. And it led her specifically to mindfulness. And this was like when people were not doing mindfulness in Western Mm -hmm. medicine. and uh, other therapy tools, and uh, something called reward- based learning. And using this behavior first approach to diet change, I lost about 150 pounds about 12 years ago. She lost 170 pounds in around the same time frame. Um, and then together we created, the app called Wavelength, and I'm the CEO and one of the co-founders of. Um, and I can guess I, that's. Can we back up for yeah. a second on that? Oh because yeah.
0: <laughs> can we just highlight the fact that you lost that 12 years ago? Mm-hmm. The reason that I want to highlight that is we all know that while it is difficult to lose weight, it's even more difficult to maintain weight loss. Right. I don't know how many people I meet, that's actually their bigger struggle after that initial struggle is maintaining it. So I just wanted to highlight that because I feel like our listeners, that gives you so much credibility in this space in terms of the message we're going to bring to this episode, because that's a huge victory. And to me, that's actually more stressful than people realize Mm -hmm. it's they reach that summit. And then what now, what do I do with this? Right. How right. do I, how do I live in this new reality in this new body in this new existence? So mm. just that jumped out at me.
2: Well, mm. and I mean, I think that's the difference between really healing your relationship to food and rewiring your brain mm. and white knuckling through a diet, because when you diet to lose weight, you get to the end and you look back at what it took to get there. And you think, okay, am I supposed to do this for the rest of my life? Am I supposed to track everything I put in my mouth and be hungry for the rest of my life? Can I really do that? Um, Mm -hmm. and the answer is like pretty short. No, (laughs) you cannot do that. Nobody can do that. It's not, it's not a you problem. If you look at the data on restrictive dieting, the CDC reports that somewhere between 92 and 98% of dieting dieters do not reach their weight loss goal. And, uh, most of them are actually going to wind up weighing more than they did when they started. And this is not an accident. This is because we are hardwired to seek food, like from an evolutionary perspective, You could imagine why that's an advantage, the, the gene pool that favored people that didn't care about eating like that, that those genes are going to be pushed out of the gene pool pretty quickly. So we're from an evolutionary perspective, like it's good that we remember where food is, that we remember what foods we like, that we feel driven to eat. Uh, but in our, like in our modern food environment, um,
0: that, that is no longer serving us in good stead.
1: Mm-hmm. I think our
0: modern food environment is something that doesn't get enough attention in terms of just how much it sabotages us. <laughs> I laugh because anyone who knows me knows that I'm basically a hippie now. It took a while. <laughs> I went through the different stages. Now my legs are super hairy, I have <laughs> a bush under my armpits. <laughs> And I say all of that so that you get a picture of how I slowly evolved into a little bit of a hippie and (laughs) nature is one of my favorite things. And I always cackle sometimes with hubby. I'm like, you're going to go, you're going to go hunt for us and I'm going to go forage, you know, and then we'll (laughs) come back and we'll enjoy our meal. But our modern world isn't like that. Our modern world is you can go jump in your car, which takes next to no energy drive to get your food, which is probably more energy than you need, whatever you, you happen to be eating. Uh, and then, yeah. So it, to me, our modern world is, is such a, a trigger for our bodies not responding well. And while I think it can be debated in terms of, you know, food being engineered a certain way, we had a guest on that kind of shifted my mindset a little bit, kind of like how you're saying, you know, we're wired to want things, but I do also think that our food system, kind of like big pharma does not have our best interest. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things that are kind of going against us each day. And it's no wonder that we can exercise for an hour plus a day, but then really struggle those other, you know, let's say how many hours we're awake, you know, people, Mm -hmm. I I notice this all the time. Yeah.
2: I mean, and, and you you alluded to this, although it is a bit of a hot button issue, and I'd be really curious to kind of hear where you are in your thinking about this right now. But let, it's 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 not just caloric availability, right? Starting with the agricultural revolution. But, Ten thousand years ago, we really saw a massive increase in in caloric availability, um, and we saw caloric availability like really in flux uh, across the human population, across human history. Um, and this is a new problem. This is a new problem, and it's advancing across the world. Um, right? It's not a problem everywhere yet. Uh, And it's not just about available calories. It's about the kinds of calories that we're consuming and the kinds of foods that we're consuming. Um, And I say this not at all from a moralistic perspective. Like I love an Oreo as much as the next person, but there are literally people sitting in rooms thinking about how to get you to eat more of them. And that is just not something that we have had to contend with in the past. And I get so angry, like honestly so angry. I could probably make myself cry, angry cry thinking about it right (laughs) now. When I think about how the messaging, the the messaging around this has been that it's a personal responsibility issue that Mm. like we're having like you people are, the millennials are the first generation that are Less healthy and some important markers than our parents, mm-hmm. and like we're talking about it like it's a crisis of willpower, but we oh. didn't have a national crisis of willpower. Something else is happening here, and until we start pointing the finger away from the individual and where it belongs, uh which is you know the food system like uh, we got a lot to be
0: angry about. <laughs> this is such a good parallel to a show that I'm watching called Dope Sick. Have you guys seen it on Hulu? Hulu really wants me to watch it, but I haven't watched oh it. Oh <laughs> my gosh. You will love it. And here's why you're going to love it the, the pharmaceutical company in this show. So the, it, the show is all about how Oxycontin became the drug of choice. And we somehow just basically adopted heroin as being good for even just mild pain. And it's because pharma had a really big push that they basically infiltrated the medical system. But beyond that, I remember in, the epi- in a certain episode, they say it is not the drug's fault It is the user's fault for being an addict. And it made me, and I, the first thought I I actually laughed when they said that, because I'm thinking, actually, it is the drug's fault. You guys are engineering things (laughs) to be addictive. And then you're wondering why people are breaking into pharmacies for this (laughs) stuff and then ODing. Mm -hmm. But the pharmaceutical company was so quick to say, it's the addict's fault. It's their fault. It couldn't be our drug. It couldn't be the fact that when we used to start people on 10 milligrams, now we're saying they need to start on 40, 50, 60. So that was really interesting. The, the responsibility being pushed to someone else. Mm -hmm. And I think the food industry does the same exact thing, you know? Well, it's, it's not, it's not our fault. It's that they just can't stop after seven chips, which hello on a bag of chips, by the (laughs) way, whoever eats just seven chips. I'm just going to say that right now. (laughs) Right.
2: Well, and if you want to look at a, a, it's, it's, we're so, so ingrained with the messaging that this is a personal responsibility issue that it can be really hard to imagine the alternative. So we look at those addicts, we look at people that struggle in their relationship to food and, and it, It is paradoxical. No one's going to save you but yourself. But if you want a vision for what an alternative can look like, look no further than the tobacco industry. Uh, Mm -hmm. They tried very hard to make this an individual problem. And legislators in that instance did their jobs. And they said, no, no, this is not about individual choice. This is about an industry suppressing, about an industry um, taking advantage of children and and, like, smoke, smoking's on the rise again, and obviously we have the advent of vaping, but it was extremely successful for decades at reducing smoking deaths. And, like, there is another way to approach this that's much more supportive of, of people than the way that we're looking at it now, um, which, yeah, like I said, it's fair, I get very angry.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean... Just from a, like a different perspective, too, it's the same perspective, but I was a, am a marketer for the last 10 years. And I mean, I never did food, but we sat in rooms around Black Friday and we're like, okay, how do we make our product seem like something that someone cannot live without, right? So there are people that are paid a lot of money to make food so desirable that you can't live without it. or Or they, you know, they... I know how to write something in a way that will make people want that. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like a low level marketer. (laughs) So like there are people in these, in McDonald's, all these really big corporations, things like that, who their whole job is to figure out how to make you want more of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's not to like say anything shitty about marketing, because I love marketing. I do it every single day, but there is that, that side of it too, that, they're not taking responsibility for it. And I mean, their whole job is to make you want more of it, right. They want to sell more product.
2: Absolutely. Um, and pharmaceutical companies want to sell more product and Mm -hmm. the corn industry wants to sell more product (laughs) and weight watchers wants to sell more product. Mm, Yeah. And so people are left without an advocate, because Mm -hmm. I mean, because like, this is, this is right where you would want a legislature to to come in and, and advocate for the interest of the people. And that's just like, not where we're at right now. (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: I I also, a big piece of this for me, it's not, I I see that, okay, these are for-profit companies. They're starting Mm -hmm. a company because they want to make money and they want to have people that are engaging with it. It seems to me that the morality and ethical lines start to get blurred. What starts as something, I I think Weight Watchers probably started as a a, a tool. Hey, let's help people lose weight. Let's give them some good tools. And then it became, let's give them these hundred calorie snack pack bullshit things. (laughs) Let's sell them on our bars and our frozen meals that have absolutely no nutritional value. So I think in a bid for for space in the market and a bid for more money, more revenue. I see these companies really blurring their moral and ethical lines. And it's funny, I just did a core values exercise with my team for, we own a fitness studio outside of my coaching practice. And I I realized how important it is for a company to have core values and a Mm -hmm. set of values that they align with, because if they don't then they will start to do things that go beyond their ethical and moral boundaries, for mm-hmm. example, because mm-hmm. they don't have that compass. And I wonder sometimes if that's the problem with these companies. It's like they've completely gotten away from whatever their core values were when they first started, you know? Mm-hmm. It's
2: funny that you brought up Weight Watchers because I always. I always say that Weight Watchers is a company with a good heart. Like it was founded by a woman who understood that what people really needed was community. And like I think that they still get that right. Mm-hmm. Um, and as opposed to some of the other players in the space who are like really just shilling stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they weren't able to do was kind kind of keep up with the science. Right. And so we know right. that calorie restrictive diets have a shelf life. Like when, when, uh, in the occasional instance, when people are able to be successful, it doesn't last. And like, this isn't some secret that only wavelength. And I know this is <laughs> really, really well documented from a scientific perspective. Weight watchers absolutely knows this. Um, but they really haven't like, you know, haven't, been able to adapt and figure out how to message that in a way that works with their current business model. And I see that it's gotten them really stuck. It's funny that you brought this up. We actually just internally at Wavelength did this exercise and, one of our core values is the commitment to science. And Mm -hmm. part of it was a learning about watching what happened to Weight Watchers and seeing that like the science moved and they had built a product that could not move with it. Mm -hmm. And like what we, we work hard to build what we call a dogma free approach, which is basically a reflection of our commitment to look at what the best science says and then deliver that
1: to our users. Mm -hmm you, I mean, you, you started to explain it a little bit, but like, can you dive into a little bit more about wavelength and you told us a little bit about how it's different than other things, but let us know. And then why did you, why did you start it?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, why I started it is easy. This is what I wish I had had. When I talk about how angry I am about the food system, like the, the, that anger is not abstract to me. Like I, think about how I felt about myself as a person struggling with food and living in a bigger body and I my heart breaks. It's funny because I can talk about this like 12 hours a day, five days a week and I still freaking cry but I think that's how <laughs> that's how intense that experience is.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and so this is like for my mom and I both this was really like what we wish we had had. Um, And the way that it works, so there are really three, three core components to the app. The first is an audio course, which I narrate. Um, and that audio course, it's like six to eight minutes a day. And it takes you through mindfulness exercises, brain training exercises, a little bit of education about how your brain and body work, lots of self-reflection exercises, um, that are designed to really reduce shame and heal your relationship to food. That's where the, the, the magic happens when it comes to that behavior change. Um, And I like to say that giving people a nutrition plan without focusing on healing their relationship to food first is like pushing them out of an airplane and then handing them the parachute. Like (laughs) we've all had food lists before (laughs) we Mm -hmm. know what to do with a, with a restrictive diet, but um, unless it's paired with a, with another approach, then you're just going to be exactly back where you started. Um, so that brings us to the second feature, which is personalized nutrition. So every member of the app gets a personalized nutrition plan um, that is what to eat, when to eat, but it's also what an area of focus should be. Not everybody needs there, first of all, there's no magic way to eat, right? Mm-hmm. There's no magic bullet that's going to keep you from getting sick and dying. Like, that's just part of mortality. There's no like perfect optimal diet to eat. If we look across cultures, we see people are healthy and live long, healthy lives with a variety of diets. What we're trying to do is build an experience, build a diet that's going to be sustainable for you that optimizes for what you want to optimize for. And I have a lot of difficult conversations with people where I'm like, I don't have the recipe for a perfect body, but I can really help you have a better time. Mm-hmm. And so it's nutrition optimized around like figuring out what your goals are, what you really want for yourself and then how to get there. And then the third component is a daily self-care checklist. So mm-hmm. one thing that I think we're starting to hear talk about in in kind of the broader conversation, but that food engineering that we've been talking about that makes food so highly palatable really is about lighting up our, our dopamine reward system in the brain. Um, and it's not so different from those opioids when we look at some foods, addictive capacity. And what that does is it just moves food to the very top of everybody's coping mechanism list. Like, so if you are hooked on Oreos or chips or whatever your thing is, the the fastest way to approach that isn't to white knuckle your way through an Oreo craving or to tell yourself (laughs) no is actually to reduce your need to cope overall. And so Mm -hmm. the third component of the app is just like a tool for assessing what are your needs today and how can you meet them? So you might take our daily quiz. It's a daily quiz. You might take our daily quiz and discover like, oh, it's actually been three days since I've gotten a good night of sleep. What we're not going to do is tell you to get a good night of sleep because (laughs) you already know that what we are going to do is give you a bunch of tools to get you through the day so that you can make eating choices that you're happy with. It's two o'clock. You haven't slept well. You can't take a nap. What do you do? Here are Mm -hmm. three things that you can do to calm your nervous system down, restore equilibrium in your body and like make good eating choices. So those are the three components of the app. Um, and it's really like, it's really about like guiding you step-by-step step through a process because people need a guide. It's confusing out there. And, um, so we just take it, we take it one day at a time
0: together. <laughs> mm-hmm. I really like this approach. We just had a guest who, I don't know if you're hearing the parallels in this Jesse, but our other guest also talked about the nervous system and Mm -hmm. having a hyper aroused nervous system. We hear a lot about shame. We hear a lot about self-love. We hear about lack of those things or too much shame, lack of self-love. And for the longest time I would hear that as it relates to weight loss. And I would kind of go, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, great. We don't love ourselves clearly because we're not eating right. (laughs) Now, as we start diving deeper into these subjects, especially with guests like yourself, I want to make this super tangible, palatable pun intended for our listeners so that we can really hone in on what it actually looks like. And then I like how the app actually has things that they can do to with the nervous system. So I guess my question is, Do you think this is all rooted in shame, in lack of self-love? And then where do you think that came from? I I think that's such a big question I want to unpack because I think a lot of people hear something like that and they don't really understand what that even means, right? Well, what does it mean to have too much shame? What does it mean to not love myself enough? Yeah, this is such a good
2: question because it kept me personally on the outside of this conversation for so long. When you are in the throes of shame, it does not sound mean, it sounds true, it sounds astute. Thank God. I know my place in the world. I'm not confused that I'm too good, that I'm like more good looking than I actually am. And it can also feel like the only thing that keeps us in check, like Mm -hmm. that voice in your head that tells you that, I mean, this is harsh language, but I think this is an honest reflection of, of certainly the experience I had, but the experience many people have is like that voice in the mirror that tells you you're disgusting and pathetic it's really easy to feel like that's the voice that's going to get you to change. And so if you just tell people, love yourselves, let go of your shame.
0: Exactly.
2: It's like, like, well, okay, maybe that's for someone that doesn't have a real problem, but I'm disgusting and I'm not shamed. I'm just right. Mm. And so, Like, I I feel like so much of the conversation about this starts at the wrong place. Like all of the body positivity content that I was encountering out there was like, look in the mirror, love yourself, focus on what your body can do. And I was just like, I cannot connect to whatever it is
0: that you're saying right now. Right. Or the affirmations that tell you, just say that you love yourself every day. Well, I'm not there yet. So we're gonna need some, (laughs) we're gonna need a bridge. (laughs) Right. And what I
2: see now is that like, I don't know who is inventing this stuff, but they were way farther along down the path than I was when I started out. What is so important to recognize if you're nodding along and you're like, yeah, body positivity is for other people, but I'm gross, is that like the first step isn't feeling that you're not gross. The first step is just recognizing that you are normal.
1: Mm -hmm. Like
2: you're not X. Can I curse? Of course. (laughs) You're not extra shitty. You're just like regular shitty. And, um, so like what that looks like in, in the wavelength program in these audio episodes, but also just in real life is like a little bit of tough love, to be honest with you. Like oh, so you think you're the only person in the world who should be able to grapple with this when the CDC reports that 85% of women struggle in their relationship with food, you're gonna be the one person who who like doesn't suffer from that? Like (laughs) look around, this is the state of the world right now. You are not extra shitty, you are regular shitty and you're just (laughs) a little animal with needs. And unless you get those needs met, this is a non-starter. And so it's really about like placing yourself in a context and letting go of some of that. I'm special, bad narrative. And once you get there, once you kind of see, Oh wait, what if this is the conversation that every woman is having with herself? Like maybe Mm -hmm. I am just normal. Then there's a little light, a little little crack for feelings of positivity or even neutrality about your body to get through. Um, And I like to say that the goal is not to never feel bad about your body. That's just not reasonable. Um, and it's not like human Shout but- out to my
0: FUPA from my baby. <laughs> I feel like I, that just made me think about my FUPA yeah. because I look in the mirror and my stomach is so different since I had a kid so different. Mm-hmm. And it's been really hard to be okay with it because mm-hmm. I see other people who don't have that stomach postpartum, you know, or just in general weird to see your body change. Mm -hmm. So I've had to really start to embrace my FUPA more. So that Mm -hmm. just made me think about that.
2: (laughs) Well, this is such a, this is such a great example because it's so classic. Like, would you choose not to have your kids so that you exactly right. She was like a total blessing. Yeah. And like, is it something that you had any actual control over? No, definitely not. Is it something that you feel shame about? Clearly, it is. So, what's going on there? Like, how can we unpack this? Sorry to make you a little test subject here. No, but, I love um, it. But, like, and, and it's so perfect also, because like, it is not totally true to say that everyone is having a shitty experience with their bodies. Every, every, I got to tell you, everyone is having a shitty experience with their bodies. But when I weighed 320 pounds and couldn't walk around the block, it was pretty hard for me to look at my friends who are criticizing their bodies who weighed hundred pounds less than me and think we were having the same experience. So let's just say right now, not everybody has the same experience. I do not mean to imply that that's true because it is not, but what was happening to me and maybe a little bit of what was happening to you, Christina, is that like it, that shame was not staying in its lane. Like I could not find any sense of value or worth in myself outside of that context. I couldn't really like imagine being partnered. I didn't feel comfortable having sex. I like just felt shitty to my core. It wasn't like, Oh, this is just a part of me that I wish was a little bit different. It was like, I suck. It was the whole story that I had about myself. And so the practice of letting go of this shame, isn't like, I love my FUPA or I love my (laughs) body, but it is just like, well, I kind of wish this were different, but I have a lot going on. Like, this is one part of who I am. And that is such an important distinction to recognize that like, it's not about being happy about, it's not about approval of every part of you. It's just a recognition that any one part of you is not the whole of you. And once you kind of like get a found get, some glimmers of that. You don't have to be like secure in that, but once you get some glimmers of that, then you start to be able to make decisions from a place of curiosity, because the thing that is, so there's really interesting new research that shows that shame actually inhibits the neurological processes that are associated with creating new behaviors. So from a, from a biological neurological level, if you're in shame, you're not going to be able to change your diet, but the way that I, I think it's always more helpful to look at it experientially, like If, if you're, let's say you have a binge, let's say you, and, and binge means something different for everybody. But for me, that might've meant like six or seven hot pockets in a night. Mm -hmm. So, um, at the end of that, there was no, if I asked myself the question, like, Hey, why do I think that happened? I got one answer because I suck. That's it. Mm -hmm. There's no learning that can happen when you're, when you're steeped in shame. But the real answer is probably like, well, did I have a really shitty day? Was I really, really low on sleep? Did I have a fight with my partner? Like, did I not eat enough for breakfast? And you can start to actually look at the conditions that are going to be necessary for you to change without just shutting it down at the start. Because
1: like, you think that the reason this is happening to you is because you're bad. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel this on a deep level. We've talked about this a little bit on the podcast and I know Christina and I have had conversations about it because I, so like for me, um, kind of like what you talked about in the beginning with your story and with like being able to keep the weight off, I definitely did the whole like I have dieted on and off my whole life since the, when I was 16 and my cheerleading coach told me that I needed to lose some weight to fit into my outfit, even though I was a hundred and like five pounds, but that's a whole different story for a different day. But anyway, like, so it was kind of this on and off thing throughout life. And then I ballooned up a little bit when I, before I found out that I had hypothyroidism so there was some stuff going on there in college. And then I lost like 40 pounds by doing at the time was very popular, the like counting macros. So, um, and it was the like bikini style counting macros, right? Like I was barely eating, I was eating like protein ice cream with like Reese's puffs at the end of the night. And I was like, not eating any vegetables. Cause I mm-hmm. needed to save all my carbs for like three more extra pieces of Reese's puffs, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, And then I got to the point where I was doing that for so long and I got to a good weight, but then I couldn't move past that. Right. Like, then I was like, am I, like you said, am I going to have to eat like this forever in order for me to do this? And then I kind of the, the balance went off. Right. And I was like, Now I'm just going to eat anything that I want because I've been on these strict diets for like autoimmune protocol. A lot of people Mm -hmm. that are listening to this have been on like autoimmune protocol. Christina has been on low histamine, SIBO diets, all these things that are very, Mm -hmm. very restrictive. And then you kind of like the pendulum swings, right? And then that shame just hits hard because it's like, I used to be able to do all of these things. And you forget that at the time when you were doing super restrictive diets that you like also hated yourself. And now, (laughs) you know, I'm 60 pounds heavier because I gained 20 extra pounds than the first time I lost weight. And that shame is still there. It just, Mm -hmm. I feel like now there's like more proof. So it's just like this really hard spot to get out of. And I just wanted to like like talk about my experience a little bit, but then Mm -hmm. like, how do you think when someone's kind of in that spiral, where do they even start? Because it's like, even if we're talking about like, we know it's shame and we have to like face that, how do you do that? Like, how do you kind of face that, that side of you without, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's my question. How do you face that?
2: So with shame, sunshine's the best disinfectant. And that is so much of what like is really powerful about wavelength. And honestly has been powerful for the, for me in the experience of making wavelength is that like, there's a very different, like, but neurologically, but also just experientially something really different between intellectually knowing something and feeling it. And so the first step to letting go of shame, um, it's, it's the practice of seeing that you're normal, but what that looks like in reality is hearing other people's stories and being told that you are normal. Right. So wavelength also has a community, but a lot of the episodes are like explaining the why talking about in a really honest way, my experience, like that seven hot pockets story, like what does this really look like in people's lives? We have so much shame around our eating choices that like we don't even know what other people are doing, but when you discover weight, like actually a lot of people are eating seven hot pockets in one night. And I understand at a pretty granular level, what's happening in my brain and body when that's going on and you can feel the community and you can feel the acceptance, like we love, we've, we've got this like idea in wellness culture right now that you can just like love yourself. You don't need (laughs) validation. You don't need acceptance from someone else. I call major bullshit. Mm -hmm. We need other people to validate our experience. We are relational creatures and healing happens in relationship. And so you need somebody to tell you like, and for you to really hear like, you're normal. And I see all the things about you, not just that. And like, together, we're going to get through this. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think like, whether it's wavelength or something else, like, Check out how you're feeling about yourself with the people around you, because they're going to tell you nice things. You're way meaner. Like chances are pretty good that you're being way meaner to yourself than Mm. your partner or your friends. Like they don't care what you look like at the beach. They just want you to be there. And so check it out. Like ask them to share with you what they like about you, what they value about you, how they feel about your body. They're not going to come up with a list of complaints.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah.
0: So, one of the things I wanted to ask because I work with a lot of women who, when they come to me, they say things like, Oh my gosh, the way they talk about their body, bat wings for their arms is the one I hear all the time. They call themselves whales, and oh my gosh, I could roll myself down the street. This is the kind of stuff that is said in consultations. Mm -hmm. And it always really breaks my heart. And I, and I, find myself saying, Hey, let's redirect that. Let's think of a way that we can have kind of like a bridge. So I wanted to circle back to the bridge concept with, with that in mind, because someone doesn't go from, I have bat wings for arms to, Oh my gosh, I love love my body. It sounds Mm -hmm. like your approach personally, your approach with the app is that bridge. Mm -hmm. So we go from self-deprecating thoughts to a little less self-deprecating and then we get to a little more less self-deprecating until eventually we actually do start to love and accept our body. Is that is that am I getting that as far as the uh, how the approach goes? Yeah. I I love bridges. I think they're wonderful. I think it's such a good way to rewire your brain without forcing your brain to catch up to something it's not ready to adopt yet.
2: Yes. And what's important to recognize about shame is that it's like any other habit. Like it, we can't turn it off with a switch. We have to learn, we have to experience positive We have to have positive experiences in our bodies many times before we can start to feel positively about them. And Mm -hmm. so it's, this is what I was talking about with Jesse, like it's happening in relationship and it's happening through practice. It's not an intellectual activity. So if somebody comes to you and says, I hate my bat wings, maybe you start off and saying like, you know, honestly, that's a part of the body that most people have. And that might hit and it might not hit. And they also might not care, right? Like, well, she can have bat wings, but I want perfect tight arms that don't look (laughs) like a human's arms. Um, And you're not going to be able to make any headway in that conversation. But what you can do is what I call a bottom up approach, which is you can give her the experience of feeling good in her body of feeling powerful in her body. And as she has that experience over time, The bat wings, like I said, get in their lane. And she may never love, like, do I love the stretch marks and flabby backs of my arms? No, I don't love them. But do I spend a lot of time thinking about them anymore? No, not really either. Um, (laughs) And over time, as she has these positive experiences in herself, it will become less important to her to have Barbie arms.
0: And well, that's such a good point. And I also think in our quest for weight loss, we're missing a huge, huge point in that spoiler alert. We all die. Number one. (laughs) Okay. That's just number one. (laughs) And how sad to live our life having wished for something Mm -hmm. and it never fully happening. I know for a fact that when I'm on my deathbed, I'm not going to say, I wish I had dieted more, done more workouts, whatever it is, I'm going to look back and say, I wish that I had more joy, more Mm -hmm. happiness, more moments that light me up, more interactions with people that light me up. I wish that I had done the things that scared me. Mm -hmm. I feel like we lose a little bit of our identity as a person when we start to subscribe to weight loss at all costs. If Mm -hmm. I don't get to this goal, then it doesn't matter. And I like the idea of starting to reprogram that I feel like it's so important for us to fall back in love with who we are outside of how we look Mm -hmm. so many women, how we, and and this is cultural too, because how we look is thrown in our face constantly or how we should look, I should say, right. Mm -hmm. We're always given ideas and examples. I just, I, I really feel I, that touched me when you said, you know, the emotion part, the, you, you said nothing about the body, right? You said nothing about how the body looks. It -hmm. was, how can we feel? Mm -hmm. I'm reading a book called super attractor by Gabby Bernstein. I don't know if you're familiar with her, but oh my gosh, I dig her stuff. I (laughs) I drink that Kool-Aid and I nuzzle it and it's, it's yummy. (laughs) The big premise of the book is that we, one, we attract what we are, So what we put out into the universe, we get a lot more of that back, number one. So if we're focusing on joy, we're probably going to get more of that than if we focus on what isn't working. But she also mentioned something by Abraham Hicks called the emotional guidance scale. Mm -hmm. And it's one through 22, the bottom of the scale scale is fear, grief, depression, despair, and powerlessness. So that's when we're super low vibe. We're probably calling in things that we don't want into our life. And the reason I say this is we've talked about bridges and going from one to the next, and so she talks about how you can't just go from fear, grief, depression, despair, powerlessness to the top of the scale, which is joy, appreciation, <laughs> empowered, freedom, love. <laughs> first, you, first, you have to go through, for example, maybe some jealousy or some hatred or some anger, which actually happen to be higher up on that guidance scale than the, the very bottom. It's, so you start to celebrate, oh, okay, well, I'm discouraged That's better than being powerless. And Mm -hmm. then eventually maybe blame. I'm blaming myself. That means I've come out of discouragement. And then you just keep moving up the rungs until you start getting into hopefulness, optimism, enthusiasm, eagerness, passion. Mm -hmm. And I love this concept. And I love that you you do that in the app as as far as starting to reprogram little by little. It's so funny that you bring up anger and
2: jealousy and blame because often when I'm working, so I also work with people one-on-one occasionally. And when I'm doing that, I often encourage people to explore their anger because Mm -hmm. what anger is often telling us is that It's showing us our values and it's indicating some self-advocacy, like Mm. it's often easier to get angry about the position that women and people struggling in their relationship with food and their body are in. It's often easier to get angry about that than it is to feel love. And so when you're moving from the, all the things that you mentioned at the bottom of the scale, which like I think is really where shame lives, moving into jealousy, blame, anger. What it tells me is that there's something inside of you that is up for a fight and mm. that's a good sign. And it's telling you something about where you want to go and it can be powerful fuel for change. Um, there's really two kinds of motivational processes that happen in the brain. Um, one is what we call like motivation from and anger and, and self-blame and self-criticism and shame, they all kind of live in this territory and it's short-lived and it's really profound. So you see a picture of yourself that you hate and you're like diet starts tomorrow. Here I go. (laughs) And maybe you have success for a while. Um, and it's really intense, but it's exhaustible. Um, but it's like a powerful force. And then there's motivation toward, which like, it sounds very hokey. It took me a while to like really accept that this was correct, but it, what that really means is hope. It's like a fundamental belief that things can be different. And mm-hmm. that is actually not exhaustible in the same way. The neurochemicals in our brain stick around for longer. Uh, we don't get burnt out as quickly, but they're actually like kind of too important Parts of the process. Um, and so usually people are in motivation zone one when they come to me, they're really angry, they're disgusted with themselves. And we move them slowly to motivation zone two. Um, but everything has its place, right? And so when you were describing that scale to me, I was like, oh, this is this makes sense to me based on what I know about like the brain. <laughs>
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and then we start to actually not run from those uncomfortable things because we can celebrate moving up the rung, if you will. Mm-hmm. So just as an example, discouragement, and then there's blame and worry, doubt, disappointment, overwhelm, frustration. Then we get to pessimism and then boredom and then finally contentment. Mm-hmm. And I think so often, maybe this is part of part of it. I, I, I would like your opinion on this. Do you feel like maybe we spend so much time trying to avoid uncomfortable emotions that that's part of what keeps us stuck.
2: Yes. And no, I think that like framing it that way makes it sound like the answer is to like self-flagellate and, mm. um, yeah. and like sit with the, the hard stuff. I think it's like an important part of that truth is to understand that like that's a very natural human instinct that actually serves us well a lot of the time if every time we had a negative emotion we were just like stewing in it like you couldn't be a parent you couldn't have a job <laughs> you could not like do things um and so but it's also important to recognize that like those negative experiences and emotions and reactions whether we're articulating them to ourselves, whether we're noticing them, whether we're giving them space, they have a cost. And when that cost gets high, like where you find that you're coping with food all the time, or maybe not showing up, like we want to show up as a partner or a parent, then it's start to like time, maybe to start to look at what needs you have that aren't getting met, what negative emotional experiences you're having that might be driving you into some of those behaviors. And I think, yeah, like that's kind of how I think
0: about it. Mm. And notice we've talked so little about food, <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, because it's so much deeper than food and it's I, so I much deeper. I really hope this episode drives that home. I feel like this broke it down in a really digestible way in terms of what it actually means when someone Mm. says it's not about the food as the way that we think it is, you know?
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and I want to back up and say like, sometimes it's totally about the food. Um, Mm -hmm. there are really like three major causes of disruption in our relationship with food. So dieting, which we have only barely touched on here is actually a major disruptor in our relationship with food. And it can create like really painful binging behaviors. Uh, it can be, Quite torturous. It can result in a lot of overeating and weight gain. Then there's what, what we have talked about, which is this sort of like emotional neurological dependence on food, where food just goes to the top of the list of our coping mechanisms because of, of the processed food that we're surrounded by. And then the third component is metabolic. It's physical. Um, mm-hmm. and it is a lot, we're scratching the surface of understanding what's happening here, but we know that insulin in particular, which, you know, um, is responsible for many processes in the body, including processing blood sugar, but also the creation of new fat cells in our body, um, has a lot to do with our hunger and satiety cues. And so if you're somebody like me diagnosed with prediabetes at 15, but it does not usually that extreme, um, whose insulin doesn't work great, uh, in in again, in our contemporary food environment, a lot of what's happening to you might be about the foods that you're choosing. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that's sort of where the personalized nutrition comes in is like, I'm doing a little assessment there. Um, and the app is doing an assessment of like, uh, there's a, there's a spectrum, I think, um, That goes from like optimization where we're like intuitively eating and we're like really in touch with our bodies and following like what we need. And then the other end of that spectrum is like, I'm having a serious medical problem that requires intervention. And Mm -hmm. depending on where you are on that spectrum and how well your insulin functions, like sometimes the move is to make a food list and to start eating from that food list, but it's different for everybody. And so like, I do want to like, I, I, want to flag this because in so much conversation that's happening in anti-diet culture right now, that's like ignored. And I think it's because the dominant Voices and diet culture tend to be thin women who have suffered with typical presentation of anorexia, is leaving out a huge portion of the population, like me, who was like really in trouble and needed to make major changes to what we were eating really fast. Um, so I want to just flag that. And I feel like yeah. this this group of people that's listening to this podcast is gonna connect to that. Like you guys have. like we all have chronic disease to manage here. And like, it's really nice to think about healing
1: your relationship with food, but sometimes there's an emergency happening. (laughs) Yeah. And that's definitely something too. like both Christina and I have Hashimoto's, which is hypothyroidism tends to affect Everything, everything. Um, <laughs> and then <laughs> everything. Yeah. And then once you get into the that whole space of living with a chronic illness or chronic disease, there's there's concept, there's gut, um, like stuff with your gut, there's stuff with your skin, there, you know, everybody has like their own their whole own healing space. And I think. That's why something like what you're talking about with wavelength or just in general would be helpful is for people with chronic illness who have to do these very, very strict diets like I did, but I already was in this like terrible, terrible restriction mindset that it just broke and I couldn't do it anymore. It didn't matter to me if when I ate something that made me sick, it didn't matter because I couldn't handle the restriction anymore because I was so like mentally messed up at that point. And still I'm still dealing with it. And I think that that's where, you know, it can be very, and I get really worked up with people online, specifically with the chronic illness stuff where they're just like, everybody with Hashimoto's eat keto, everybody (laughs) with this eat paleo, everybody with this don't ever touch rice again or whatever. And I'm like, no, like you don't understand how this can mess with someone. If they're in the same place, like if you're going into it and you've been healthy and all of a sudden, like you're being bloated all the day and you feel terrible all the time. And you're, you know, if you cut gluten out, it'll make you feel better. I'm I don't want to say that that's easier, but there's less connected to it than when someone has all of these other disordered eating patterns that, have, that come with it. And it can be Absolutely. exhausting. And I Absolutely. can say from personal experience. <laughs> well, not just exhausting, ultimately damaging, like ultimately
2: right. n- not good for your health uh, and not just your mental health, your physical health, because if you get trapped in that binge and restrict cycle, uh, it doesn't all the knowledge in the world about what's going to make you feel better does not matter. Right. And so one of the things that we, we actually wind up working with a lot of folks on AIP specifically, um, because it is so restrictive, but the consequences of not following are, can be really extreme for some people. And so helping them kind of like figure out how to, grapple with the realities of their restrictive diet without triggering binge and restricting, getting them to a place where they are like those food choices are feeling easy because Mm -hmm. if you're asking people to white knuckle through it, there's always going to be a backlash. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, totally agree. This has been so refreshing. I love your approach. And I love that you dove a little, and I, I just love all our guests. I feel like everything aligns. <laughs> We're just aligning with all of our guests. <laughs> they all have something unique to share to the, con- with, into the conversation, or add to the conversation, I feel like. So last week was more very much so nervous system. But then I think this mindset piece is also really important topic to bring to the table because that's all part of the same soup. Mm-hmm. So really appreciate having you on. As we start to wind down, one thing we always like to ask our lovely guests is what is something that you do every day to keep you feeling your best? Something Mm. that you just, it's like a warm cup of tea on a cold winter day. (laughs) Well, is it
2: too on the nose to say it's a warm cup of coffee? Oh, Um, well,
0: no, (laughs) I
2: just like love coffee and Mm. I try to make sure that I'm getting a little hit of pleasure in the morning. Like speaking of not relying on your coping mechanisms, like this was one of the early things that I figured out when I was dealing with my relationship with food being so off the rails was like, Oh wait, I gotta, I gotta lean into pleasure. Um, -hmm. like, because I think I don't want to do realists. We're winding down, but like (laughs) fat people in particular are taught that they don't deserve pleasure. Uh, so, um, Mm I was like, I have a cup of coffee and I put heavy cream in it and I buy really expensive coffee and I brew it in this really neurotic way. And it's so <laughs> damn good. And it's just like, yum. I love it.
0: <laughs> I love that ritualizing our coffee. And yeah. I like the idea of pleasure. Yeah. yeah, yeah pleasure and I, I,
1: I connect with the part with like the, like, and even like um, like fat people don't deserve pleasure or whatever. I think that that that's not only like a societal thing, but even just like we, as people, when we get bigger, tend to think that for ourselves, cause there's definitely mm-hmm. been times for me where I'm like, I can't have that coffee that I really want because I don't, I don't deserve to have that because I ate terribly yesterday. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so yeah, that's like a really important piece too, to pull out, but Yeah. So if people wanted to connect with you or find out more about Wavelength, what would be the best way that they could do that? Well,
2: if they visit wavelength.live
1: backslash
2: chronically healing, they will get a 50% discount for their first subscription for the app. Um, And then you can also follow us. We're very active on Instagram at Joy and Wavelength. You can follow me personally. I post a lot of baking
1: content at Stitesy.
2: (laughs) Um, and all of those places you can learn more about us and what we do.
1: Perfect. We'll make sure to have all that stuff linked and, um, and yeah, everybody can head on over and get 50% off too, if they're, if they're interested in, in doing that. Um, and then is there anything else that you would like to tell the listeners of the podcast today or anything that we might've missed? No, I think like really, like, I feel like I, if I have a one mission in this world, it's for
2: everyone to know that There's nothing like, they're not really bad. Uh, You guys Mm. are, if you're listening, you're struggling with this stuff. You're normal. Most people are struggling
1: with this um, and come find us. We'll make you feel better.